if you really conclude that you are untouchable from the influence of the idolaters that are all around you, then you don't understand what the scriptures teach. You are about to fall. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues with part four of his current series, Tear Down Every Idol. Ask yourself this, how many people in today's culture truly worship the one true God? Not very many, it often seems. That means that everyone else, according to the Bible, is an idolater, someone who has set up a substitute of some kind for the true God. And that can take different forms, as you've learned throughout the series. Because all people are hardwired to worship, everyone is worshiping. And if not the true God, then they're engaged in idolatry of one form or another. And the same is true of you and all of us. As Tom will teach today, beware of the powerful influence of idolatry in your own heart. Open your Bible now and let's discover more from God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Not only is there an inherent appeal to self-gratification, but also to self-rule. You see, once you make a counterfeit for God, here's the payoff. It allows you to continue to remain at the center of your world. You simply choose a God who fits your own likes and desires and lifestyle. It is a designer God. What could be better? And if you have any interaction with the unbelievers around you, you know people like this who create, have created their own designer God. In a recent issue of Newsweek, I read an article about a woman named Sheila. It happens to be my wife's name, but no relationship. And Sheila went on to describe her faith, and she called her faith, at least she was honest about it, she called her faith Sheilaism because she had kind of collected parts she liked from various faiths and made her own. A designer God, what could be better than that? Probably a store in the Galleria, or soon will be, that offers designer gods. Why? Why do people find themselves attracted to idolatry? It's for self-rule. Listen to David Wells. Why do people choose the substitute over God himself? Probably the most important reason is that it obviates or does away with accountability to God. We can meet idols on their own terms because they are our own creations. They are safe, predictable, and here, most importantly, controllable. They are, in Jeremiah's colorful language, the scarecrows in a cucumber field. They are portable and completely under the user's control. Wells goes on to say, people who remain in the center of their lives and loyalties need only face themselves. That's the appeal of idolatry. As another author put it, idolaters are the autonomous architects of their own futures. Scripture often makes this point that the appeal of idolatry is self-rule. In Jeremiah chapter 5, for example, verses 3 through 7, you find the people 
because of their idolatry and what led to their idolatry was a hard-hearted self-will. They will not be bound by the ordinance of God. They will not give in to what the true God demands of them, and so they go after the false gods who give them exactly what they want. In Jeremiah 17, verse 5, in Jeremiah 17, in the first four verses, the, the author, Jeremiah, talks about idols. And then in verse 5, he says, Cursed are those who trust, who put their trust or confidence in man. You know what point he's making? He's saying that those who rely on idols are in reality relying upon self instead of God. Paul puts it a little differently in Romans chapter 1. You remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the person who pursues idolatry has first made a deliberate choice. Even though they knew God, they chose not to glorify him as God or to give thanks. So the two features of idolatry that are most appealing to unregenerate men are self-centered gratification and self-rule. Now, folks, if those who give themselves to self-gratification and self-rule are idolaters, and they are, then we live among a people who are no better than the Canaanites because we live in a culture given over to self-gratification and self-rule. And like ancient Israel, you and I, and like the early church, you and I must guard our hearts from the idolatry that's all around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, run from idolatry. So the inherent appeals of idolatry are self-gratification and self-rule. We've seen a brief history of idolatry, the inherent appeals of idolatry. Thirdly, I want us to briefly consider the source of idolatry. Where does it come from? If there is only one true God who created everything, we have to ask ourselves, how is it that the world slid so quickly into polytheism and into idolatry of all kinds? Why are there so few who worship their creator alone? Well, there's no direct biblical account of the genesis of human idolatry, but there are several indications of how it came to be so pervasive. Where did false religion come from? Where does our own bent toward idolatry come from? And what are the true sources of idolatry? Well, frankly, the Bible gives us extremely clear answers. In fact, it identifies several different springs from which idolatry in all its forms, whether it's idolatry of falling down before a wooden statue or setting up an idol in your heart, something that's more important to God, idolatry in all its forms comes from just a handful of springs. Let's look at them together. The first source of idolatry is it is an act of personal rebellion against God. Turn to Romans chapter 1. An act of personal rebellion against God. In Romans chapter 1, you'll remember we looked at this text last time. In verse 18, we learn that God is angry. His wrath, his orge is the Greek word. God is characterized with unbridled passion against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. 
God is angry with those who suppress the truth. What truth? Verse 19, the truth about God. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. God has made it clear to all humanity who he is and what he's like. No one can ever stand before God and say, I didn't know. How has he made this evident? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, his deity, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now notice man's response to that clear revelation of God. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they chose not to glorify him as God or to give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and as a result, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Listen, don't you for a moment believe the sociologist who argues that the animistic and polytheistic religions of our world are the way up. According to Paul, they are the way down. Those people worship the way they worship because they have rejected the revelation of God that he has made evident in their hearts and in the world around them. You see, idolatry is ultimately an act of personal rebellion against God. That's what Paul is saying. As Os Guinness in his book, No God But God, puts it, idols are what we make out of the evidence for God within ourselves and in the world if we do not want to face the face of God himself in his majesty and holiness. God made us to worship him. As Augustine said, God made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. But because of our sinful hearts and the desire to avoid accountability to God, we in an act of rebellion, choose to substitute something else for God. A second source of idolatry is the powerful influence of the people around us. The powerful influence of the people around us. This is a constant concern of the Scripture. There are a number of texts. We looked at a few last week. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. You'll see this very clearly. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses is warning the new generation of Israelites to be careful as they enter the land of Canaan. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess it and clears away the many nations before you, and he lists those seven nations that are stronger than they are. Verse 2, when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them. You'll show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Why? Verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Verse 5. Thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their asherim, and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You know what God is saying? He's saying... You ought to be terrified about the influence that people who worship idols around you can have on you. And if this was true of the Old Testament people of God, it was equally true of the New Testament people of God. You remember, 
This was a concern Paul had for the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. He was concerned about the influence that idolatry would have on them. Do you understand that you ought to be afraid? We live in a pagan, idolatrous land. The fact that they're more subtle than other gods only makes them more dangerous. And if you don't think that the idols of the people that the people around you worship cannot influence you, if, if you really conclude that you are untouchable from the influence of the idolaters that are all around you, then you don't understand what the Scriptures teach. You are about to fall. Think for a moment about the wisest man, God said, who ever lived. Who was it? Solomon. And what happened to Solomon? Was he impervious to the influence of idolaters around him? Absolutely not. Here is a man devoted to God, but because he brought in out of a desire to enter into treaties with the surrounding nations, he brought in these foreign wives from these surrounding nations. They influenced his heart toward idolatry. And Solomon, David's son, ended up building a temple for idols in Israel, ended up worshiping idols in addition to the true God. And you and I think we can do better? Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he doesn't fall. The third source of idolatry, in addition to an act of personal rebellion and the powerful influence of the people around us, the third source of idolatry is an expression of our fallenness. There's a glimpse of this in the Old Testament. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 12, the, the prophet speaks of a spirit of harlotry which led them astray. That is, a spirit of idolatry that's within the heart that led them astray. It didn't come from the outside. It started on the inside and led them astray. But what that verse hints at, Paul expresses in the clearest possible terms in Galatians chapter 5. Turn there with me for a moment. Galatians chapter 5. Right after he lists the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 19, Paul comes to the deeds of the flesh. He says, this is how the flesh acts. This is how your unredeemed humanness acts. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, all those words have to do with sexual sin of one form or another. But notice the beginning of verse 20. The deeds of the flesh, one of them is idolatry. Now think about that for a moment. That means if you retain any of your fallenness, which we all do as believers, we have what the Bible calls our flesh. It's not strictly a reference to the body. It's part of our, it's our fallenness. It has both a physical element and a spiritual element. Even though we're made new in Christ, we still retain that flesh. If you have that, one of the deeds of the flesh, one of the ways the flesh acts is it desires to set up idols. That means you have a betrayer, you have a traitor inside your heart that wants to fall down and worship an idol. Not necessarily a piece of brick or stone or wood, but something other than God. Idolatry is as natural to man as breathing. It is as much a part of the human condition as outbursts of anger. Anything else that's in that list. It's natural. It's a natural expression of our fallenness, and that makes us all the more susceptible to it. A fourth source of idolatry is the work of demons. You see, false gods don't really exist. Paul said that 
God's made with hands, in Acts 19, 26, God's made with hands are no gods at all. And he really drives this home in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4, he says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but God. So listen, we understand there, there's no false gods, and they don't exist. So what really lies behind every false god? According to Moses, in Deuteronomy 32, 17, demons lie behind every false religion and every false god. Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just over a page. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. An idol is nothing. There's no, there's no false god. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. You see, the bottom line is Satan is opposed to God. And his mechanism, his method for leading humanity away from the worship of the true God is to manufacture the construction of all kinds of false gods and idols. Behind every false system of religion, there is the energy of demonic force trying to lead men away from the worship of the true God. Whether you're talking about animism, pantheism, or Mormonism, it doesn't matter. In the end, behind that, energizing that system is the work of Satan himself. So if you put together what we've learned so far, you can easily see the power that idolatry has. Its siren song comes from the dark world of demonic forces, from the influence of the culture and the people around us, and even from within, from our own fallen, rebellious hearts. So listen carefully to this. This is crucial. As surely as you and I are hardwired to worship, and we are, we are pre-programmed by our own fallenness to worship anything but the true God. Remember, every human being is a worshiper, hardwired to worship. Ask yourself, how many people in our culture truly worship the true God and Him alone? Not very many. That means everyone else, by biblical definition, is an idolater who has set up a substitute of some kind for the true God. Everybody's worshiping. If they're not worshiping the true God, they're engaged in idolatry of one form or another. That means we live in a culture wholly given over to idolatry, and its influence is powerful, just as it was for ancient Israel. Beware of the powerful influence of the idolatry around us. We've also discovered that our own fallen hearts cry out for an idol, that it's completely normal for us in our fallen flesh to want to substitute something for the true God. There is within each of our hearts the temptations that always lead to idolatry, the temptations to self-gratification and the temptations to self-rule. Add to that the reality that there are demonic forces at work in the world to draw people away from the worship of the true God. And in light of all of that, it is absolutely shocking that you are here this morning and that I'm here this morning. Even though you and I are influenced by idolatry more than we realize, and we'll talk about that next week, still, 
here's the amazing thing. We are here this morning to worship the true and living God in the person of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're brighter? Because we're more intelligent than all those people out there who are worshiping idols? No. The fact that you and I are not completely given over to idolatry today is solely because of divine grace. There's so many places we can look at this, but my favorite is 1 Corinthians 6. Turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There are going to be some people that don't make it into the kingdom of God. And then he has this terrible list. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, that's not a complete list. That's just a representative list. There are other lists in other places with other kinds of sins. The bottom line is this. If your life is controlled and dominated by sin, you're not going to make it because it shows that you've not been truly changed. So why is it that we're in? Why is it? that we're here this morning. Notice verse 11. Such were some of you. Some of you were idolaters, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Listen, what I want you to see, you know the biblical story of Abraham, how God, by sovereign grace, reached down into Ur of the Chaldees and snatched an idolater out of a pagan culture and made him his own. What I want you to see this morning is the fact that you sit here worshiping the true God is because God did the same thing to you. He, he reached down into our pagan culture and with our own tendency to worship something other than God and he snatched us out and he made us his own by an act of sovereign grace. He had promised to do this Remember Ezekiel 36? Ezekiel 36, verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. God himself has cleansed us from our idols. How? Well, if you'll remember Ezekiel 36, and that verse I just read is part of what the Bible calls the New Covenant. It was to accomplish that new covenant that Jesus died on the cross. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay the penalty of our idolatry so that God could cleanse us from our idols. And he purchased our regeneration in which our souls are cleansed from their idols. God, in an act of regenerating love, listen carefully, God, in an act of regenerating love based solely on the work of Christ, gives us a new heart, a heart that loves to be a true worshiper of him. In his death, our Lord made it possible for God to forgive and be gracious even to idolaters like us. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Tear Down Every Idol. Tom will continue with part five on our next program as he once again takes us to God's Word. Do join us then. 
But Tom, you mentioned in today's message that uh, just like ancient Israel, all believers must guard their hearts against idolatry. What are some practical ways to do that? I think there are two very practical steps that you and I can take. First of all, I think we need to look at our own hearts and ask, is there anything that we are more devoted to, that we love more, that we make more sacrifices for than our God and his son, our Lord Jesus Christ? If so, then whether we call that thing an idol or not, it has displaced God in our hearts and, in fact, is idolatry. And I think the second question is, are we entertaining low, unworthy thoughts of God? Have we really reconstructed the biblical God in a way that is idolatrous? I think those are the two most common ways you and I can be tempted to worship an idol in place of the true and living God. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.